And joining us in the PBJ Spotlight today is Jemmy Laganier. Jemmy, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate your time. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. It's a, it's a true honor to be on your show. So tell us who Jemmy is. Oh, my gosh. There's just how much time do you have? <laughs> Plenty. <laughs> I am a multifaceted woman, so buckle up. Uh, let's see. Uh, but number one, I'm a mother. I have a son. He's six and a half, going to be seven, going on 17 here in another month. Um, so that's number one. He's my pride and joy. But aside from that, I am also the founder and owner of Flintstone Media, which is a podcast and website production house. And I am the founder of Florida Podcast Network. I am the former host of the Curve the Cube podcast and a current host of the Finding Florida podcast with um, some more shows in development currently. Uh, we're going to be starting a Florida podcasting news show soon, so we're excited about that. But that's who I am in a quick nutshell. Great. So give us some more detail on how you got into podcasting from the beginning. Oh, my gosh. So... That's a pretty interesting story. I uh, spent about 15 years as a in a totally different career, as many of us in podcasting have done. I was a data analyst and um, fell in love with that kind of work. Uh, gosh, since I was a kid, I've loved computers and data and stuff like that. I've been a, a nerd my whole life. So I was a data analyst for a long time. And then I would sit at my cubicle listening to radio shows and podcasts and stuff like that. And um, one of my favorite shows uh, was this radio show, local radio show called The KVJ Show. And I love them, listen to them all the time. And they started having a little bit of trouble on their side. They're getting kind of kicked off the air. And um, I didn't like that at all. <laughs> and so I decided to start a campaign to get them back on the air. And it just ended up exploding into this whole huge national campaign where, you know, I had a great partner by my side, Carla, and we ended up having thousands of people behind us. And it was really great. So at the end of that, I picked up the marketing bug. So I started my marketing company, Flintstone Media. And um, then as that was kind of just barely starting to churn, the radio show that I had helped out, they called me and said that they might have a producer job for me um, when they get back on the air. And I said, probably the dumbest thing you could possibly say when someone calls you with your dream job on a silver platter. And I said, um, you know, I've never produced anything in my life, right? <laughs> like, I have no production experience whatsoever. But they really liked my chutzpah and my drive and, you know, my mm -hmm. my attention to their content and all that. So, so anyways, I decided, you know, I was listening to podcasts already. I thought, well, why don't I start one and, um, you know, maybe get a little bit of, of experience that way. So I started curve the cube and, um, you know, that the radio gig didn't end up panning out, but what was great was I caught the podcasting bug and, um, really fell in love with Curve the Cube and being able to sit down into someone in front of someone new every week and find out who they were, what made them tick, what made them struggle, what made them successful, what drove them. All of that was just, ugh, I loved it. And the show's concept was all about 
getting people to tell me how did they follow their dreams and end up doing something they love for a living that they were passionate about. And in doing that show, I ended up discovering what I was passionate about and, turn, and turning it into finding my own, you know, a living for my own. So I ended up curving my own cube and doing that show. It was a pretty exciting experience. And then I went to PodFest a couple of years ago and it just completely changed my life and, you know, just been immersed in the podcasting scene ever since. So back to that radio show for a second. What market was that in and, you know, what was the result of trying to get them back on the air? Sure. So they were originally in the in the Palm Beach County market and um, they're on one station that they had been on for, I think, like 15 years or something crazy. Uh, I'm not I don't remember exactly why that contract was coming to a close, but they were being bought by a by a station in Miami. So they went there briefly for a little bit of time and that station just started to slowly dismantle the show. Um, and then that's when the campaign started and then the show just completely got kicked off the air. So the drive really was to get them back into the Palm Beach County market. So we got them back on WRMF. They picked them up and they've, I think they have been now on there for just over three, four years. So oh, it's cool. been solid. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing great. So uh, you you have a problem with local radio these days, though, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about that. Oh, man. So, yeah, that was really my first taste of, you know, corporate conglomeration and how the creativity process can be stifled because the great thing about that show is on the first station they were on, they were given free reign to be as goofy and crazy and as sentimental and sweet as they wanted to be. And it was just such an authentic and wonderful show. And to see that being strange, it's put through a filter. It was just horrible. Um, and then you see things like, uh, so jumping a little bit from radio to television, you know, you might remember the, the issue that happened last year where every, every local news station seemed to be forced to read the same script. And it was almost became like this video meme where they were showing the dozens and dozens and hundreds of, news stations around the state around the world all doing the same thing so something was happening to local content outlets you know radio um and television and i just have always been a proponent of local there's something about it that just feels different from anything else that you can get and unfortunately radio is becoming so much more syndicated and you know to uh, one of the most syndicated shows out there is the elvis duran show and to his credit um when the campaign was going on, the show that actually re had replaced them on that original station was the Elvis Duran show. And when he got word of our campaign to bring them back, he was a huge supporter of it because he's like, they, there needs to be a local voice down there. We, we, I almost was floored when I heard that. So, yeah, local voices are so important. And that is why, you know, I'm just so motivated to build the Florida Podcast Network and bring those local voices back for our communities. So talk about how you launched the Florida Podcast Network and how you uh, and Glenn the Geek uh, <laughs> came together. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I am not one who's shy. As anyone who meets me will figure that out pretty quickly. Um, and so when I went to my very first PodFest um, convention a few years ago, and I went there with uh, my show, Curve the Cube, and I decided I'm going to make this into an episode. You know, I, I interview people all the time, actors, artists, musicians, uh, business entrepreneurs, et cetera, about how they find their passion. Well, here's an opportunity for me to interview a bunch of podcasters. So I decided to do that and weave it into one episode. Well, at that, uh, at that year, <clears throat> Glenn won an award. 
and um, he won it at the same time as our friend Gabe won his award, and they were both coming off stage, and I ran up to them, and I said, can I please interview you for my show? You know, I knew Glenn uh, was a big deal. He was the opening keynote speaker and all this, so I thought I'll give it a shot, <laughs> and they both said yes, and so I interviewed them. And uh, I've never been so mad at myself for turning a recorder off as this moment because after I was done interviewing them and I turned my recorder off, they then turned to each other and started talking about how good I was. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> believe it. I was like, oh, man, I didn't get that recorded. But um, anyway, so Glenn offered to mentor me. Which I just couldn't believe. I mean, it's kind of like being, you know, being a local reporter and having Oprah say, you know, I'm going to take you under my wing. It's like, what? So, uh, yeah, so we became fast friends and um, he started mentoring me. So, you know, I had had this idea. I, I really wanted to build a network and I wasn't quite sure exactly what I wanted to do. So I remember we were having a conversation one day digging into you know, the different niches that I could possibly explore because he is, he's a big proponent of a lot of things and a lot of philosophies when it comes to podcasting. And one of them is to niche your show, which is absolutely true. So we started thinking about niches and, you know, can we reach the African-American audience? Can we reach the Caribbean-American audience? You know, what is it? What is it? What is it? And when we, I finally said, you know, I just, I love Florida. I keep coming back here. I've lived in other states and there's just something unique here. There's all different kinds of people in Florida, and I want to meet them all and talk about all of them. And he loved the idea, so that was kind of the original germ for the Florida Podcast Network, and we've been building it ever since. We started off with our pilot show, our our flagship show, Finding Florida, and the idea was to take that show and use it to become known you know glenn is known in the horse world glenn is known in the podcasting world i'm known locally in in my little corner of florida in the podcasting space but for us to get known for what we wanted to do a florida podcast network we had to get known in the travel space and the tourism space and then in the podcasting space in all of florida so that was what the show was used for you know we traveled around we're still doing it. I don't know why I'm talking past tense. We're traveling around uh, and we're working with different visitors bureau, bureaus. And through that, we've made so many great connections. And now the with 2019, the network's starting to really grow. So what is your goal with the network? If anybody's heard of Glenn the Geek and heard that previous episode with him, uh, you know that he's the founder of the Horse Radio Network. And that network has been around for over a decade and has about uh, just under 20 shows all about horses. And so we're basically taking the foundational work that he did with that network and applying it to growing Florida Podcast Network. So the vision with Florida Podcast Network is to grow it to, again, about 20 shows that are all about celebrating something with Florida. So that can be basically one of two types. You're either celebrating an area of Florida, so, um, you know, a Tampa Bay show or a Miami show or Sarasota show, et cetera. Or you can be celebrating something about Florida, like a certain industry. So um, the craft beer industry or like what we do with the travel and tourism industry. Uh, so the idea is that not only can we help encourage and do our part in, in propelling Florida's economy and the travel and tourism and all of that stuff forward, but then we really are interested in working with a lot of local brands and getting more local brands that increased exposure, you know, through our ad work or through working with our hosts um, on shows and contributing content and stuff like that. So 
we've had a lot of fun doing that with Finding Florida and having different brands highlighted and featured in all kinds of creative ways on our show. So we're so excited to see all the different ways that we can do that with all the other shows we're going to put on the network. So do you want people in Florida that are podcasters to reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. So Florida is becoming such a hotbed for podcasting. It's kind of an incredible industry. We have uh, the Florida Podcast Association here, who is, which was founded by Chris Kermitzos, a buddy of ours. He also founded PodFest Multimedia Expo, which happens here every year, which everyone needs to go to who's an independent podcaster. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. There's so many people who are creating great shows here in Florida, but particularly if you have a show that is about Florida, we have a program on the network for people who have those local shows already established to join the network. So we have um, three different types of, I'll just run through our partnerships real quick. We have three different types. One, uh, we have our affiliates and those are going to be you know, local magazines, bloggers, video, visitors, bureaus, these larger entities that want to create this type of content. And so they pay us for production of a show. And then we have our media partners who um, might not have a full show um, that they want to contribute, but they want to contribute a segment on a show or something like that. So we have those, those partnerships as well. So then we have our production partners and those are independent podcasters who join the network. And so what they do is they keep the, they keep ownership of their show and they keep the productions all, all handled on their side. But then we board their show onto our network. We help distribute their episodes, give them great exposure and all of that. So we have we have a relationship package for pretty much any kind of podcaster that's out there, including the podcaster that hasn't even started podcasting yet and just, just thinking about it. So overall, do you think that uh, podcasters can make a living out of this or is it is it really a hobby? I think most podcasters who get into the space, at least the first maybe 10 years of this, we're really doing it as a hobby. And I think we're slowly moving towards more people thinking about doing it uh, as a way to make a living. It's kind of like it's kind of like YouTube, right? You know, when people started YouTube, no one thought you could make a living being a YouTuber. Everyone's just doing it for fun, putting videos and stuff up. But then they started you know, YouTube really came up with ways for people to make money. And it just it started this whole new career for opportunity for people. And it's kind of similar with podcasting. You know, we don't have a YouTube creating the opportunity. Um, we're creating it ourselves in our industry, but it really depends. So, you know, if you have a show, if you're a host of a show and you're trying to make money and monetize, I suggest, first of all, that you try to think about how you can do that before you start a show um, so you can start gearing your content to make it attractive towards advertisers. You want to figure out what is your niche, you know, who can you really corner, uh, what corner of the market can you really focus in on that you can get those sponsors to jump on board for? You know, who are the listeners that people want to sell products and services to? And if you can figure out how to cater to those listeners, then you're also catering to the potential advertisers. So that's, so there's that. Um, are you going to make a ton of money? On average, probably not, but it can certainly be something that doesn't cost you money if you do it right um, and can gave you, gain exposure for you and other things that you're doing, you know, your business or what have you. Um, and then there are people who have podcasting services. So, for example, I have Flintstone Media, the, you know, so I do podcast production for other for other podcasters, and I certainly, you know, can proudly say I make a, a decent living off of that. So that's for that's certain there. And I also am a producer for the Horse Radio Network, which granted those those kind of opportunities are far and few between, but you can look for them and find them. It's all about networking and making opportunities like that happen. Um, 
and then there's of course there are of course the people who have you know the re- the, the advertising companies the the big huge production houses all those types of, of entities the the people who do um all the the swag for podcasters that that are becoming you know the the shirts and mugs and all that. i mean there's so many fringe little ways to be involved with the podcasting industry that aren't necessarily as a podcaster that people are figuring out ways to make money and it's a really interesting space and you know again i'm going to say go to a podcast convention to really appreciate what those opportunities can be in this space to make money what is your advice uh, to podcasters or potential podcasters that are thinking, man, I have, I have a great story to tell. I, I think I could do this. I'm just not 100% sure what to do. I would say the first thing you should know is um, that you really need to make your show unique. Um, gosh, I mean, Glenn and I, it's almost a, an ongoing joke at this point. <laughs> Many times people you know, come up to us and say, I have a really great idea for the show. I want to interview thus and such people. I have a really good idea for the show. I want to inspire people to do thus and such. Okay, that's great. A million shows have started with that exact same sentence. So what is going to make yours different? And so you got to really, really figure that out. And that can be either you know the market that you are really focused on selling your show to, or it could be something about your, you yourself that is super important. And I know this came up on his interview because it comes up with any, any interview with Glenn, but I'll say it again because it's one of those podcasting philosophies that sticks because it's just proven. People come to a show for the content, but they stay for the host. So if there's something about you that you can really bring to the table and make it unique and inject that into your show, that needs to be the your your first focus. Um, so you need to figure out what are you going to do to make your show unique and stand out and not be one of a million. You know, you are one in a million. Don't make your show one of a million. How important is the sound quality of a new show? Oh, well, gone are the days when you could get away with really crappy sound. When I started podcasting, I mean, so I call, uh, I affectionately call the first hundred episodes or so of Curve the Cube as my album one because it sucks. (laughs) I mean, I don't know why I had it in my head that I don't need to edit. You know, I can just let it fly and let it go and whatever. I don't need to pay attention to sound. I don't know what was wrong with me back then, but I'm glad I've learned the error of my ways. Sound is so important, especially because you're getting more and more um, corporate entities in the space, like NPRs and Gimlets and all these other, you know, huge people who have massive, massive budgets. Mm -hmm. And if your show doesn't sound good, guess what? A listener is going to pick something else to, to listen to because, if the quality is not there, it's going to be too annoying. They're not, they're going to check out. So your sound quality def- definitely has to be really, really crisp, really clean. Um, do just you know do the best you can. And if you have a sound issue partway through recording, don't be afraid to stop your guest and say, you know what, let me figure this out because they will respect the fact that you did that, and so your your listeners will thank you. Yeah, and we all go through that. Every single one of us have uh, have had had those issues at the beginning. Oh God, of our, no! Of our beginning, life. middle, yes. they always find a way to pop up, you know. And and I'll say this: um, always have a backup recorder. Always, always, always um, for whatever you're doing, you know. We 
uh, this kind of combine this story combines both issues into one having a backup and crappy sound we were doing an interview at a croquet center and it was out outside and normally that's we can figure out it's not too bad of an issue but there were some fans going so the fans were blowing pretty close so the choppiness of it was basically creating a wind factor right on the microphones so we used our big mega mics um, for that, which is pretty much guaranteed to come out really sounding really, really good. Well, I'm an idiot and I don't know what I did wrong, but I apparently didn't start recording on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> unfortunately, we didn't catch that really good high quality sound. But I did start the backup recorder. So we did get so that's nice. lesson number one. I did we still did get the interview. However, normally a backup is really, you know, comes in handy because it might not be quite as good, but it's still usable. This one, this is the lesson number two, um, the sound just wasn't very good because this backup doesn't really do a good job accounting for wind factor. Um, and so we really had to cut the, that interview down quite significantly. And it sucks. You have to learn to just suck it up and make the sacrifice because at the end of the day, your listeners aren't going to know, number one, what's cut out. And number two, they're, if you leave in something with really, really bad audio, they're going to check out. So you just don't want to let that happen. Right. And it's always a good idea to have extra batteries if you're recording on an H4 <laughs> and H6 or any other recorder. I have a feeling you're speaking from personal experience. <laughs> Yesterday, as a matter of fact. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how important is it to have a consistent release date for your show? And should it be weekly? <laughs> oh, man. There's a lot to unpack with that question. So... um. When I when people ask me this, or it's just starting out a podcast, you know, don't do a podcast more than um, you know twice a month or every other week. The, at first, to start, the reason typically, right? The reason for that is because there's a lot more that goes into podcasting than you can anticipate. And if you get boggled down in the pre-production work, the post-production work, then you're just gonna not want to do your show anymore, and you're gonna what's called pod fade. Um, so you don't want to let that happen. Uh, so we say if you do it every other week or, you know, twice a month, then you're more likely to really give yourself time to get a handle on your show. And then if you want to bump it up to once a week, you can do that because your listeners will be more grateful to have extra content, but you never really want to do it in reverse because you don't want them to lose out on content. Now, um, I actually did that in reverse, <laughs> uh, with Curve the Cube. I was trying to release every week and it was a challenge because I would go out and meet my, my clients where they were. You know, I was full time, uh, working full time still. I was a, also a full time mom. So there was a lot. Um, and when I met Glenn and he asked me if I'm consistent and I said, no, he encouraged me to push it back. And that was the best thing I could have done because doing it then instead of once a week to uh, every other week allowed me time to really clean up my show and make it a better show. And at the end of the day, give my listeners something that's much, much better. So typically I'd say, you know, there's no straight answer, but start every other week or twice a month and feel out what's right for you. Now we have um, a host starting on our network. She's um, going to be rolling out a show soon um, called People of Palm Beach. She is a re news reporter veteran, right? So she's been in the content creation game for 20 plus years. So for her, when she said she wanted to do a show every week, we didn't bat an eye. 
Um, now we did end up landing on every other week for completely separate reasons, but I would have trusted her to be able to handle that because she knows what she's getting into. Most people don't. How can people find you? How can people listen to uh, your shows? And how can they get you know? How can they get in touch with you? Follow you? All all the different ways. If you are interested in podcast or website production services, you can find all of that information at flintstonemedia.com. If you're interested in the Finding Florida podcast specifically, you can go to findingfloridapodcast.com. Or if you're interested in all the other shows and finding out what else is coming up of Florida Podcast Network, you can go to floridapodcastnetwork.com. And that's really going to be exploding with exciting news in the next couple of weeks. So I encourage everyone to go there. First and foremost, or you can always email me at uh, Jemmy, J-A-I-M-E, at floridapodcastnetwork.com. And we'll see you in PodFest as well. I'm so excited to uh, meet you and Kim in person. We can't wait. And will you will you be speaking at PodFest? Yeah. So actually, Glenn and I are going to be opening up the whole thing. We're going to be on the main stage for the keynote. So that's very exciting. Wow. Uh, yeah. I'm going to be part of a geolocal panel. So talking about um, doing local podcasting. And I think Glenn is moderating that panel. So that should be interesting. Um, and I think he's also moderating another panel on networks. So he has that going on. And uh, um, my friend Desmond and I are going to be relaunching Palm Beach Podcasters Association, which is a meetup group um, up there. So we're going to be doing that at PodFest. And then a few days after PodFest, I'll also be a panelist at the Hispanic Radio Conference. So there's a lot going on. Yes, busy, busy. <laughs> Busy, busy. All, All right, Jimmy. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much, Ed. It's been a great pleasure.